All right, good morning, everybody. Glad you are here today. Uh, we are, as Tina mentioned, we're on our second week of a series that we're doing here at Ignite called Encountering Jesus. And uh, for these six weeks leading up to Easter, we as a church are reading through the biblical book of Luke, which is all about the life and the ministry and eventually the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's been our prayer and our desire as we kind of walk through this story and take this journey together that we really would come to really know and love and, uh, and really just experience uh, Jesus more and more throughout this season. I think it'll be a, a transformational time, a transformational journey, and just an amazing way as well to prepare for Easter. And so I hope you've had a great first week. I have certainly enjoyed uh, the journey so far, and I uh, hope you're taking it with us. As Tina mentioned, if, you ha if, you're, if this is a, the first time that you're here or if you missed last week, you can pick up a uh, devotional on your way out today and kind of jump on the journey with us. I think it'll be worth your while. Today I want us to, to look at a passage from Luke chapter 5 about Jesus, sort of the rabbi, the teacher, and the calling of the first disciples. Um, a number of years ago I remember hearing some stuff from Ray Vandalon who had done an exorbitant amount of research and study into the relationship between a Jewish rabbi and those that he called to be his disciples. Uh, a pretty amazing um, kind of thing, the, those that he called to be kind of a part of his entourage during the time of Jesus. This, it, it totally kind of opened up my eyes and changed my perspective uh, and taught me a ton about what a disciple really is. Because it's a word that we actually just don't use very much in our, in our society, do we? we don't, you know, outside of church, you don't really hear or think about the word disciple all that much. But it was common uh, occurrence, it was common name, a common usage uh, in Jesus' day, right? All the rabbis, all the teachers of that day had followers whom they were apprenticing, disciples, if you will. In a small country, uh, in, with a small population, uh, they understood the importance of passing on their faith to the next generation. And so each teacher was, was apprenticing and was discipling um, individuals that would one day carry on their legacy, their teaching, their ministry uh, to sort of the next generation. Um, and so uh, that kind of, I mean, that's sort of a normal kind of use in that day. Now, it, it was a big deal to be selected to be the disciple of a rabbi. Rabbis were the most respected, they were the best educated, they were the most powerful people in their culture in that day and age. They were the best and the brightest the country had to offer. It was a very prestigious role, and so to be selected to be an apprentice, to be selected to be a disciple of a rabbi was a huge deal. It was every kid's dream to one day become a rabbi or a teacher. And so if you were the best of the best, you would go on to be a rabbi one day. Well, anyway, uh, Ray kind of taught, teaches that rabbis chose very carefully in that day and age whom they would apprentice, whom they would choose to be their disciples. The rabbi would screen potential candidates. They would quiz them on their knowledge of the Old Testament. All the candidates in that day and age, by the time a kid was 10, 11, 12, they would have had at least the first five books of the Bible memorized. And so every kid knew, uh, knew the Old Testament, but they would, they would go deeper to test their understanding. They would, they would go deeper to kind of put different passages together and compare and contrast and kind of test them on their biblical knowledge. And for those that, that kind of showed the best, you know, the best potential, the, those that the, that the rabbis deemed had what, it, had what it takes to become like them, they would, they would call to them and they would say, come and follow me. And from that point forward, these disciples, they'd usually be 12 or 13 years old, they would leave their father and mother's home. They would move out. They would leave everything behind. They would move in 
to the rabbi's home and would devote their life to being with that rabbi. They would follow the rabbi everywhere he went. Everything the rabbi did, you would do. So the, you know, the rabbi's walking down the road, he takes... He uh, picks a, 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 a weed or a, a, some grass and he puts it between his teeth. The disciple would walk behind him, would pick some grass and put it between his teeth. He'd do everything they did, right? The rabbis had special blessings or prayers that they would pray or recite during everything in their world. And so the disciple would go behind him and would recite the exact same blessing, the exact same prayer. Why? Because he wanted to be like the rabbi, right? That's that's what discipleship was all about. It was learning, to, I mean, to, to become like them. You wanted to pray like your rabbi prayed. You wanted to memorize like your rabbi memorized. You wanted to study the way they studied, walk like they walked, talk like they talked. There was a saying uh, back in those days, I've shared once before, but an old saying that they would say, may you be covered in the dust of the rabbi, right? Amen. May, may you walk so closely behind your teacher that even the dust off of their shoes, you know, you're walking so close that it would, it would cover you, it would consume you, which is not like, not like something we would say today. Like, you'd be like, dude, take a shower, right? I'd be like, what's up with that? But, but it was a, a picture of the kind of closeness, but the closeness between a disciple and their teacher, a disciple and the rabbi. Well, it's in that context that we're going to pick up our story today. It's that kind of picture of a disciple and a rabbi that we're going to read about in Luke chapter 5. So if you've got your Bibles, you can open them up. We're going to camp out in that one passage, 11 verses today. You can follow along on the screens. If you've got the Ignite Church app, you can follow along. There's notes, and there's the scripture and stuff in there as well. But I just want you to, to keep that in mind because this is the story of Jesus calling to his disciples and calling his first disciples. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, it says, One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, it's also known as the Lake of Galilee, or the Sea of Galilee, I should say, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little bit from shore. And then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come in to help them out. And they came and they filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he and all of his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. And so they pulled up their boats onto the shore. They left everything, and they followed him. Again, Kind of going back to, to what we were talking about before. Jesus, the teacher, the rabbi, this is, he's calling his disciples. He's calling those that he will one day entrust his ministry, his ministry to. In this story, uh, it shows up in actually uh, three of the four Gospels. It shows up in, in Matthew and Mark as well. And in those uh, accounts of this story, they, they actually uh, 
record Jesus saying those words, come and follow me, right? Luke actually kind of focuses on a couple of different things, which we'll get at in a second, but it's the same story. It's the same call. It's the same call that's going out. It's the same understanding of Jesus looking at his, for disciples, calling for them. Would you come and follow me? Would you come and do what I do? Would you come and become like me? What I say, would you say? What I do, would you do? Would you come and be my disciple? Now, think about that. That would be an honor in that day, right? It would be a huge honor for Jesus, right, to say, I believe in you. I see potential in you. I think you've got what it takes to become like me. Come and follow me. Like I said, Luke doesn't include those exact words, but it's the same call, and it shows up uh, nonetheless. But here Luke zeroes in on a few different things. He sort of paints a picture of what it means and what it looks like to live your life as a disciple of Jesus. Of who it is that Jesus is calling these disciples, these fishermen to become. And of how these ordinary fishermen are to respond to him. And so today we're going to kind of look at that. Uh, because not only did Jesus call to a, a few simple fishermen uh, a number of years ago, right? 2,000 years ago. But it's the same call that he gives to you and me today. He says, come follow me. Come and be my disciples. Come and walk with me. Walk with me and become like me. Come and say what I say. Come and do what I do. Come and be my disciple. Friends, he's calling to you and to me this morning. Regardless of what your life is like right now, regardless of how things have gone or are going for you, regardless of your past, regardless of if you feel super close to him today or if you feel really distant, a long way away from God. Regardless of how you're doing, Jesus is calling to you and he's calling to me this morning saying, come and follow me. Come and listen to me. Come and trust in me. Come and surrender to me. Come and live your life with me. I've chosen you. I want you. And if you'll follow and if you'll jump in, it'll transform you and you will be in for the ride of your life. Well, let's kind of just kind of walk through that story a little bit today, that passage. I want to look at four things that Jesus is calling for and calling those fishermen, fishermen to become. I've kind of made all of them into questions so it's super easy for us to, to kind of apply that to our own lives. Kind of the four questions that uh, Jesus is, is calling to would-be disciples and asking to would-be disciples. First one is this. He says, will you listen to me? I thought that was fascinating. Luke starts out chapter 5 by painting a picture of people crowding around Jesus, listening to his teachings. And Luke makes it clear that they are listening to the word of God. I won't spend a ton of time here, but it's an interesting place to start, right? Jesus is teaching, and there's a crowd that's gathering around. They're listening to every word coming out of Jesus' lips. They're listening to literally the words of God coming out of his lips. And when the time comes for Jesus to call his disciples, he chooses people in that sphere. He's choosing people from those that are actually listening and hearing the words of God. He calls people who are listening to him, who are listening to his words. I read a, a study this week that found that 66% of millennials uh, read the Bible, they would say, four times a year or less, with the vast majority of those being never. 66%. And Generation X, sort of the next one up, is not much better. 56%, they said, of uh, those in Generation X read the Bible less than four times per year, with the vast majority of those being never. 
according to Barter Research. I read that and think, man, we are the most biblically illiterate generation in recent history. We are so easily swept away because we swept away because we just don't know what Jesus says. It's it's crazy because 75 to 80 percent of the population of the U.S would say they are followers of Jesus. They would say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christ follower. I go along, you know, I go along with him. And yet we don't know what he says. How can we become a disciple? How can we follow? How can we imitate? How can we learn? How can we grow if we don't listen, right? If we don't know what he says, it's impossible. Discipleship always begins. A disciple always begins by hearing and listening to the teachings of their master, to listening to the teachings of their rabbi. Jesus never called people to become Christians, quote, quote, the way we define it. He never called us primarily to be church attendees. He never called us to to just be people to have an affinity uh, towards Christian teaching or towards morality. What he did call us to do, he called you and me to become disciples. His standing orders that are recorded at the end of the Gospels, Matthew 28 and other places, Acts 1, 8, um, different places. But his, his standing orders was, was for the disciples to go and make dis- other disciples of all nations. And we are included in that. He has called us to be disciples, to mimic him, to hear from him, to walk with him, to know him, and to become like him. But it always starts with, will you listen to me? Will you hear me? So much of... Uh, this series has really stemmed out of a desire to do that as, as a church, that we would say, you know what, we see what the stats say, that, that, that most of us probably aren't in God's book on a regular basis. And so we, we had said last summer even, we said, what would it be like for us as an entire church, every one of us, if we were to actually start getting in the habit of opening up God's book on a daily basis and reading and listening to God's word? What do you think he'd do? What do you think he'd do in our lives? How might the living God bust in and speak and direct and shape us and change us if we were simply to listen? It doesn't stop there, but it starts there, right? It starts with, will you listen to me? Let's go on, second one. Second thing he says is, will you trust me? Now, this is where it starts getting good, right? Because in Jesus' day, and in our time, too, there were churches, there were synagogues filled with people who knew God's word. They had an understanding of what God said, but they didn't live it out. They didn't actually do what his word commanded. For instance, uh, and this is a huge theme throughout the book of Luke. You'll see it over and over and over again. But there were religious leaders, for instance. I mean, this is the norm in that day, that, that they knew God's book backwards and forwards. They would have it memorized easily. And what they would do all day, every day, is they would sit there and argue back and forth over whose interpretation and whose rules and whose whatever is right. And so they they would say things like, you know, yes, we know that it's important to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength. And then they'd argue all day, every day about just exactly what that meant. They'd argue about, yes, it's important to love your neighbor and to love you know, to love the outsider, to, to those kind of things. And they'd argue about, and they'd make up rules about just how you could do that, what you could do and what you couldn't do to love your neighbor. They would, they would do that all day, every day. And Jesus has these confrontations with these religious leaders again and again and again. You'll read it as you go through Luke. You'll see these kind of things. Virtually every chapter you see some sort of a run-in with a religious person that knows the truth but doesn't do the truth, doesn't live in accordance with that. 
And there's these, there, like I said, there's these confrontations, and and he, he always comes back to, yes, it's good to know it, but you, the question is, will you trust me? Will you trust me enough to live this stuff out, to let it transform your heart? Instead of just talking about being loving towards others, what if you actually serve the poor? What if your heart was actually compassionate towards other people? What if you stooped down and served those around you? What if you loved not just in word, but in action and in truth? It's not enough, he keeps saying over, it's not enough to just know it or even to just hear it. But the next question that always comes is, will you trust me? And this, going back to our story today, right, this, this comes real quick in the conversation. They're, they First, they hear the word, right? And Jesus says, hey, I'm going to get in this boat. I put out into deep water, or I, or I put out a little ways from shore, and he starts teaching. When he's done teaching, he turns to Simon, Simon Peter, who's a fisherman by trade, and he says this. He says, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night, and we haven't caught a darn thing, right? And like, he, and he goes on and says, but because you say so, I will. Now, I just want you to stop for a second just thinking about this. Simon Peter, by trade, by skill, by occupation, is a fisherman, right? It's what he knows best. He may not be the best and the brightest student of a rabbi, but he's a commercial fisherman. He knows what he's doing. He's done it from the time he was a boy, likely. He's been doing it his entire life. He knows, for instance, that you don't fish during the day in the hot sun on the Sea of Galilee. The heat causes the fish to go real deep, deeper than they could catch with the kind of nets they were using. And so fishermen knew this, so they would fish at night when it was cooler and the fish would rise up. That's the only shot you had at catching them. And so he knew that, that fishing during the heat of the day was ridiculous. Who would do that? Jesus, this is great, but what you're asking is absurd. It will never work. Jesus, I get you're a teacher, you're a rabbi, I've heard you teach, you're really good. But you should stick with what you know. I, on the other hand, I'm a fisherman. I know fishing. Which, by the way, could I hit the pause button and say, how had his skill turned out overnight? How would what they catch the night before? What did it say? He got skunked, right? Like his skill had gotten him zip had gotten him nothing but there's this whole interaction jesus said no i understand but just just put down your nets again would he, you hear what he's saying right he's saying would you trust me would you trust me would you do what i'm asking you to do and i can imagine simon saying i'm gonna look like an idiot all the other fishermen around they all know this stuff too i'm gonna look like a fool what would the point be anyway of me doing this why should i obey you it does it passes beyond reason and it's sort of a last-ditch effort. He says, but, be, but because you say so, I will. And can I just, again, just say, man, I just appreciate the truth of God's word because I, I can resonate with this so much. So often I think God's truth and God's word to us, this, the kind of stuff that you read in the page of, these, uh, of this book, you read it and you think, doesn't exactly make sense to me. It doesn't feel like something I want to do. Why should I do that? It doesn't even make sense to me. And yet Jesus continues to ask, will you trust me? Will you trust me? He's like, I, I get that it doesn't make sense, but will you trust me anyway? So Jesus says, again, trust me, put down your nets and his, and, uh, the response of Simon Peter is, okay, be, 
It doesn't make sense to me. But because you say so, he says, I will. Everybody say that with me. Say, but because you say so, I will. Try it, try it. But because you say so, I will. I'll tell you what, seven words, I think those seven words could change our lives. I kid you not. But it doesn't make sense to me, Jesus. But because you say so, I will. I remember, um, I don't know, five, six, seven years ago now, uh, there was a, a time I was at the church uh, that we started up in Wisconsin. We were in a, a new building. It was a very intense season for me. We were working uh, 10, 11, 12 hours a day for a, a season in there, and I was I was excruciatingly tired, and we had been serving and pushing forward. The church was growing. Good stuff was happening, uh, but I was, I was tuckered out, and it, it had been one of those kind of weeks where uh, I was just exhausted. And uh, it was maybe 5.30 at night, something like that. And, um, and I was tired at that point in my day. My brain had shut down, right? I was in go-home mode. And so I was packing up my backpack in my office. Everybody else had gone home. I you know, was about ready to throw it over my shoulder and, uh, and head out the door when I hear some car door slam outside. And I thought, oh, no, right? Like, oh, this is bad. And uh, so I sort of go into the outer office and I peek out the window and there's a couple that's that's coming right in uh, in the doors and they're coming there to see me. It's a couple that I had only met one other time and the conversation at that time didn't really go that well. And so I thought, oh man. And I kind of I kind of you know, dug back into my office like hiding and I'm starting to think about like, is there any way I can get out of this? <laughs> can I hide? Can I go out a different door? What if I just tell them like, I just can't, I mean, I can't have a conversation right now. I am done. And I kind of had this little, this little nudge and this little whisper uh, sort of in the back of my head with you know, God just speaking and saying, you know what? Just, just sit down with them. Just love them. Just serve them. I've, I've called you to serve. So do it. And I thought, Actually, I had been reading this path, this exact passage, and so I thought, okay, because you say so, I will. But even even then, I'm like, I'll give him two minutes. <laughs> you know, like that's sort of what's going. Okay, but because you say so, I will. But I mean, I'm willing to take the first step. But come on, like this is, I am I am done. I want to go home. I want to see my wife. I want to play with my kids. I want to put a movie in so that I can sleep through it. Right? I mean, like I should, I am done. And so, but but they came in. And they they came into office and. I, we did small talk for, I don't know, a minute or something, and finally I sat down, and, and I just said, hey, what, what's going on? How can I help you? How can I serve? And uh, they, said, uh, they said, well, actually, it's the strangest thing. They said, we were uh, sitting at home having supper last night, and I don't know how, but in the middle of the conversation just came up. They said, uh, they said we were talking about what do you have to do to get to heaven? What do you have to do to be brought back into right relationship with God? What do you have to do to get saved? And we realized we had no idea. And so they said, can you tell us? And they stopped. They turned their heads at me, and they just stared there, stared at me. Like, and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, this is sort of what we do. And, like, and so I spent the next maybe 15, 20 minutes uh, with them just sharing about a God that loved them so much that he thought they were worth dying for. A God that came from heaven to earth so that they could be brought back to heaven, so they could be brought back into right relationship with God. In fact, at one point, I was kind of drawing out an illustration. It's called the bridge illustration. Kind of just is talking about God's plan for them to bring them back home to him. And uh, the woman in the middle of the, the in the middle of me drawing this out starts saying, that right there, that's what I want. And I'm like, seriously? Like, this is like the softball pitch of, of, of you know, the biggest softball pitch you could ever imagine. 
And so I got to sit there and pray with this woman as she opened up her heart and life to Jesus for the first time. And it was amazing. You know, we get, we pray together and she's just sort of beaming, right, as, as we're doing this. And I just, uh, they, they ended up leaving a few minutes later. And I just, I mean, seriously, I just had to kind of get down on my knees and apologize and just be like, man, I'm so glad that I didn't take the shortcut. I'm so glad that I didn't just go my own way. I'm so glad that I stopped because instead of going home on fumes, I went home full. I went home with abundance, with joy, with gladness for what the living God had done. I think any time we learn to practice those seven words and say, God, I don't get it, I don't may not feel like it, but because you say so, I will, you'll never regret it. You'll never regret putting into practice what God has told you to do. You'll never regret it. I wonder how those seven words could change our lives, could change our world. If those of us that call ourselves Christ followers were to, were to start practicing this on a daily basis, but because you say so, I will. I know you told me to forgive, but this person has hurt me, God, again and again and again. But because you say so, I'll forgive them. I'll release them. I will let go of the bitterness and the anger, and I will choose to forgive them the same way that you've forgiven me. I know, God, that you say not to have sex before marriage, but I'm a high school student or I'm a college student, right? That's not how we roll, right? Like, come on. This is being crazy. This is crazy talk. But because you say so, I will. I wonder, man, I wonder how much pain and destruction, how much heartache could be spared, could be saved if we were to follow through on those seven words. I know, God, that you tell me that, that you're trying, you want me to be generous, that you want me to be giving towards the poor, but there are so many things that I want and I need, I need, I need, I need, right? But because you say so, I will. Simon may not have had a ton of confidence in Jesus, but he had just enough to put down the nets, just enough to do it. But because you say so, I will. He might have been rolling his eyes the whole time, right? He might have had some attitude. Who knows? But he takes the nets, he throws them out, and what happens? What happens? What's that? Lots of fish. Yeah, how many fish do you think it takes to swamp two boats worth? 15 to, probably 15 to 20 foot uh, fishing boats. That's a lot of fish. That's a ton of fish. You know, I was thinking about it this weekend, thinking, man, so often we... Uh, we picture obedience, we picture obeying God or trusting God or following God. So often we picture that as being a total drag, like he's holding out on us. Like, man, this is not going to be good. And yet the picture that we get here, and I think the picture that we experience in our lives is the opposite. I think so often when we, when we step out in faith, we're like, God, I'm going to trust you. I, I tell you, it doesn't make sense to me. I may not feel like it, but I'm going to trust what you say. I'm going to put it into practice. So often, just like Peter, we experience abundance, not, not lack. Right? We experience fullness. We see God's provision. We see God's care. 
When we obey and we trust God enough to put his words into practice, we get to see the living God at work. In fact, at this, at this point, Peter falls down at Jesus' feet and he says, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man, right? He recognizes there's no way this is, this is, there's no way this is possible. Fish don't bite this time of day. We don't catch fish. And to catch this many at one time, he starts realizing, you know what? The living God is involved here. This is not just a mere teacher. He's more. This is Jesus, the Son of God. He falls down at Jesus' feet and he says, man, go away from me, God. I'm a sinful man. He's sort of recognizing God's hand at work. And that's what happens when we step out and we trust and we follow God. We get to see his provision. We get to recognize more of who Jesus is. And we find ourselves at Jesus' feet in awe of what he has done in our lives. Man, how I wonder if there, are, if there are areas in your life today and in my life. I wonder if there's things that God has been speaking to us and we have been rationalizing it away. Are you kidding me? Fish don't bite this time. I look like an idiot. Blah, 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 blah. And what Jesus is just waiting for, what he's asking is, will you trust me? I wonder if there's areas that we need to just say, you know what? It doesn't make sense, but because you say so, I will step into that truth. I wonder if God's just waiting to show you his power and his presence and his abundance for you. Imagine what he would do with those seven words. But because you say so, I will. Let's go on uh, in the third question. So he starts out saying, you know, will you listen to me? Will you hear me, right? Will you, will you listen to my word? Will you listen to my spirit even? Second one is, will you, will you actually trust me enough to do it, to put down your nets, to put it into practice, to respond to and act on that word? And the third thing Jesus asks of would-be disciples is, will you follow me? It has to do with the, the issue of surrender. But if we go to verse 11, the last verse, after this encounter with Jesus, Peter and the other fishermen pull up their boats, they leave everything, and they follow Jesus. I mean, this is, this is what disciples do. We tend to think of this as being a strange thing. Like, this is for fanatics. Or like, who does that kind of thing? That's crazy talk. That's crazy talk to think of leaving everything and following Jesus. But this is the biblical picture of what it looks like to be a disciple, to be a follower of Jesus. You put your old life behind you, everything. And from this point forward, everything is about following and learning to become like the rabbi. You want to follow him. You want to become like him. What he does, you want to do. What's important to him is important to you. You want to love the way he loves, serve the way he serves. You want to live out the, the mission that he has come for in your life as well. Now, does that mean that, uh, you know, from the time you become a disciple, you need to sell everything you own, buy a VW, a little bus, and kind of travel around the country, right, kind of thing? No, not necessarily. That's not exactly what he's calling us to. But, it, but, but, but being a disciple always involves surrender. It always involves a willingness to follow Jesus no matter what. I have a friend uh, up in Wisconsin whose name is Finus, and, uh, and he was a career Marine. He was uh, tougher than nails. He had, he had amazing stories, 
and had had an amazing career in the Marines. In fact, uh, for a while he was, he was stationed at the White House and he was part of the detail um, that was um, uh, helped out with Marine One. And so when you know, the president takes a helicopter, usually to Air Force One or whatever, he would be the Marine sometimes at the bottom of the, uh, the stairs when the president came down. And he's a pretty crazy kind of story. And so I, I can remember having a conversation. I mean, he was, he was, he was a large guy. I'll just say that. He's one of these guys that you, you go and you, you go to pat him on the shoulder or something like that. You're like, dang, he's like a rock. You know, you're like, whoa, uh, kind of thing. Scary, right? <laughs> kind of thing. And uh, I can remember having this conversation with him because for him, when you start talking about surrender, he's like, this goes against everything I am, right? As a Marine, we don't surrender. You know, always faithful, semper fi, right? I mean, we, we will get the job done no matter what, surrender, we don't back down. We keep moving forward. We always accomplish the objective. And so we were kind of going back and forth on this actually for, for quite a while. But I can remember sitting down with him one time and saying, okay, let's, let me just change the terminology then. Let's, let's not talk about surrender, but let's talk about changing your commanding officer, right? It's the same language, same idea, different language. Let's talk about living with a new commander in your life. And what he says, you want to do from this point forward. Where he leads you, you want to follow. What he tells you to do, you do. He is number one, you follow, right? You, he's, he's sort of the one that's in charge. Um, and you Follow his orders no matter what, sort of semper fi, right? What if you were to say, from this point forward, I'm going to follow you, Jesus, right? Whenever, wherever, whatever, I am in. I will follow. I'm yours. I give you control where you lead, I'll go. What you want me to do, I'm in. At work, at home, at the gym with my friends, I am yours. You know, so often we think again that this is crazy because in our heads we think we think of this kind of thing as a trade down. We think surrendering or sacrificing anything to follow Jesus is just craziness because it won't really. We, I think at our core we don't really believe that it's best. But can I tell you something? That every disciple of Jesus has learned and experienced for themselves over the last two millennia. Nothing compares to following Jesus. There is nothing better than following him. He's the ultimate trade up. It's not a trade down. The disciples didn't leave everything and follow Jesus because they had to. Nobody was twisting their arm behind their back saying, okay, follow Jesus or else kind of thing. They didn't do it because they had to. They followed Jesus. They left everything and followed him because in their minds, there was nothing better. There's nothing better in life. They did it because they wanted to be with Jesus, because they wanted to experience and know the living God more. They wanted to live their lives with Jesus and discover what they were born for. They wanted to see and know God's power and his presence in their lives. This, from their way of thinking, was the good stuff. And they're like, man, I can't think of anything better than following him, no matter the cost. I mean, the Apostle Paul, right, he put it this way, he says, I consider everything else trash. I consider everything else garbage, rubbish, bunk, compared to the greatness of knowing and following Jesus. For whose sake I, I have lost all things. I consider them nothing that I may gain Christ. You see, the, the picture of these disciples, what they understood, 
been following him no matter the cost. So that's the first three questions, right? The first one, will you, will you listen to me? Will you hear me? The second one is, will you trust me enough to actually act on that? The third one is, will you follow me? Right? Involving sacrifice, will you follow me? Will you, will you leave your stuff behind? Will you leave your junk behind? Will you, will you leave all the stuff from the past back there and follow me where I lead you from this point forward? And the fourth one, the last one, he says, is will you live for me and for my kingdom? Second half of verse 10, Jesus says to Simon, who has fallen down at his feet, fallen down at his knees, and said, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. His response is this. He says, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. You'll catch men and women. Jesus is sort of painting a bigger picture for them about how they are going to live, about what's going to be important for them, what he's calling them to from this point forward. He's saying, you know, up to this point in your lives, your lives have been all about fishing. These are small business people, right? Fishing has been their family business. It's been everything they've known. Fishing is sort of like in Wisconsin, like uh, having dairy, a dairy farm, right? It consumes you from before the sun comes up to after the sun goes down, right? It is an all-in sort of endeavor. So up until this point, you've been consumed. You're up before dawn. You're washing and mending nets. You're out on, you know, you're out on the water. You are, you know, fishing. You're cleaning. You're uh, selling. You're doing the whole. You're, you're doing this whole fishing business up to now. You've been entirely focused on making a living, on on catching fish. Nothing wrong with that. It's a good, good, good living. It's a good business. You, you've done a great job. But from this point forward, I'm calling you to something more. What if you were to spend the rest of your life equally consumed, even more consumed about my works, about, about my priorities, about my mission, about my kingdom? What if you were to focus your life from this point forward on making a difference in people instead of just making a living? What if you were to focus your life from this point forward on seeing people come to know me, on seeing people's eternities and lives changed, on seeing healing come to people's souls, freedom come to those who have been weighted down by sin and junk and, you know, the past and everything else. What if you were to live your life for me and for my kingdom? What if instead of focusing on little fish, what if you, what if you spent your lives fishing for for bigger things, for going after people that matter. <coughs> Friends, there's a bigger picture out there. The living God has invited you and, and he's invited me. He's invited everybody that's a disciple to live for the most meaningful, eternity-changing work on the planet. There are people that live next to you, people that you work with, people that you see at the grocery store or the gas station people that you're friends with or your kids are friends with, people that may live in your house or live next door to you. There are people all around you every day that need to be served and hugged and listened to and loved, and they need to know more than anything else that there is a God that, that's crazy about them, that loves them so much that he would die to save them. A God that wants to bring them back home, that wants to bring them to life. A God that has good plans for them. And God has strategically placed you there. He wants to use you in their lives to point, to help point these people back to the Father. To help 
He wants to use you to help these people end up in heaven one day and to experience them in the here and now, today and tomorrow and forever. But he wants to use you. He's got bigger fish for you to catch. And Jesus is asking you, he is asking me, he's asking these disciples in this day, he's asking, will you live for me? Will you live for my kingdom? Or is it just going to be focused around you? Is it just going to be more, 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 more? Now, again, am I saying that you need to quit your job and go into full-time ministry? Is that what I'm saying? No, that's not what I'm saying. Well, who knows? Maybe there's some of you that are headed in that direction. But, but this is more of a mindset, a shift in how you see what you do every day. Like, you tell me uh, which one of these is more about, can, can be more about fishing for people versus just taking care of, taking care of business and doing your own life. Like, so you, you go out to lunch after church on Sunday. Which one is that? Is that, is that fishing you know, for God's kingdom and living for his purposes or just living for your own? Which one is that? Could be either, right? It could be either. It's a matter of your perspective. How about going to the grocery store? Which one is that about? Could be either, right? It could be virtually anywhere you go and anything you do is an opportunity for you to live for Christ and his kingdom or for you to stay focused on yourself and on the here and now. Every moment of every day, Jesus is asking the question, will you live for me? Will you do your day with me, right? Can, will you follow me into this mission field that I have for you? I want to use you in unbelievable ways, in life-changing ways. I want to use you to bring my kingdom down to earth, to bring my plans to bear in the lives of every person that you, you come in contact with. It may be small. It may be huge. It may be just an encouraging word. It may be in the way you show love to people. It may be in speaking a word and pointing people to Jesus. And so, you know, this, this, this guy named Jesus, he's changed my life. He's the best thing that's ever happened to me. He's got plans for you. He wants to use you in amazing and powerful sorts of ways. But it starts out, this is the call. This is the life that Jesus has for us. He starts out saying, will you listen to me? Right? Will you hear my words? Man, if, if you haven't yet uh, joined us for this journey, I'd encourage you to do it. Walk through the book of Luke with us over these next uh, five more weeks and just sort of start opening up God's book and listening. Spencer, I always, before I open up God's book, I try to every time, like as a discipline, sort of hit my knees first and just say, God, don't let me just miss what you have for me today. Would you, would you open my ears and open my eyes to hear you in the pages of this book? You open it up and start reading and see how the living God might speak to you today. It starts out there. So would, you, would you listen to me? And then he says, would, would you trust me? Would you trust me enough to put it into practice? And then would you follow me? No matter the, no matter the cost, would you let me lead you? Leave your past behind. And from this point forward, would you come and follow me? And then he's saying, would you live for me? Day in and day out you live as my disciple, not just as a Christ follower, not just as a, as a churchgoer, but as a disciple of Jesus. Would you become like him? Would you follow him so closely that you're covered in his dust, so to speak? One more word, and then I'll be done. Uh, it's interesting, the, the book of John, there's four 
books of the New Testament that, that really primarily tell us the story about Jesus' life, ministry, death, and resurrection, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're going through Luke, but if you, if you look at John, at the end of uh, the Gospel of John, there's a real similar story to what we've been reading today. And, uh, and it's pretty cool. Uh, it's a, Jesus uses the same sort of setting, the same imagery, the same uh, virtually everything, but in a little different context. You might remember as you read through uh, the gospel stories that um, Peter, uh, towards the end of Jesus' life, does something that's not really that great, right? He denies Jesus three times. And Jesus had told him so ahead of time. He says, like, you know, before the, the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times tonight. And he, he denies the whole thing. He's like, are you kidding me? He's like, yeah. he's like, I've chosen to follow you. You're my rabbi, right? You're the son of God. I'm your disciple. I will follow you regardless of the cost, right? I will stand with you to the end. It doesn't matter what they do to you. They can do to me, right? There's no way this is going down. And Jesus says, uh-huh. <laughs> Before the rooster crows three times, you'll deny me. Right? He'll deny me three times tonight. And of course that happens. The rooster crows. Uh, and Jesus, or and, uh, Peter says, goes outside and he weeps bitterly. I mean, I don't know if you can, I don't know if we can fully appreciate that, but I mean, it was, it was a horrific moment for him. It was sort of his worst fears realized. He'd abandoned Jesus. He turned away. He ran away. In fact, uh, goes on, and uh, the story goes on, Jesus is crucified, and Peter is so disillusioned that he goes back to his old way of life, he goes back to fishing, he just goes back to the family business, it's all about, right, just catch fish, right, do the thing, catch fish, move on. Uh, he's, he's living in that cycle, and there's this scene, um, again, at the end of John, where he and his, some of the other disciples have been out fishing all night, and they haven't caught a thing. And suddenly a voice comes from the shore that says, Hey, having problems catching fish? Why don't you put out your nets? Why don't you throw them down? Put out your nets for a catch and let's see what happens. And so they do. And when they, when they do, they throw down the nets. Instantly they catch so many fish, the nets begin to break. And suddenly John and then Peter realizes it's Jesus. Jesus is alive. He's, he's the one that's on the shore. Peter jumps out of the boat. Right? He starts running towards Jesus. I, it doesn't say this, but I imagine it's a similar scene where he falls down at Jesus' feet. And then there's this amazing and beautiful interaction between Jesus and Peter where, where Jesus is basically saying, you know what, I, I know you screwed up. I, I know it. But he goes through this process of forgiving Peter and restoring him. And then he calls him back out to hear and to trust and to follow. <clears throat> to about the mission that God had for him. I don't know where you're at today, but there's something about that that is so reassuring to me. Because anytime we're talking about following and doing and everything else, the reality is there are moments for me, and I'm sure there's moments for you too, where we have failed and failed miserably. And we feel like, you know what, I'm like Peter. I've denied him. I have turned my back on him. I have not lived out uh, the life or the mission or the what anything that I have committed to. I've been a terrible disciple. I have gone my own way and I've blown it. 
And one of the things I love most about this story is, is there's a fresh reminder there to say, Jesus knows. He, he knows with Peter, he knows with you, he knows your story. He knew it and he died for it on the cross. And today the Bible says, today there is grace. Today is a day of grace. Today is a day of salvation for any of us that have blown it. We can turn back to him. And we are welcome. And we are forgiven. And we are restored. And he invites us again today to come and follow him. I don't know about you, but that's the rabbi I want to follow. That's the savior that I really that's the God I want to do the rest of my life with. I want to know him. I want to hear him. I want to trust him and learn to trust him more. I want my faith to come alive as I, as I put his truth into practice in my life and I see his power and his presence. I want to fall at his feet in awe of what he has done. I want to follow him day in and day out, again and again and again. When I blow it, I want to be restored or I want to be given and restored, and then I want to be sent out to live for him. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you so much for your goodness, for your love. Thanks that you have good us. <coughs> Teach us to live as your disciples, as your followers. We need you, we love you. We offer ourselves to you.